0: Good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're here. And would you just stand up and greet each other, say hello, and uh, then we'll get started with worship. In Psalm 27, Psalm twenty-seven, 14, 13 first, we'll start with that. It says, I truly believe I will live to see the Lord's goodness. Wait for the Lord's help. Be strong and brave and wait for the Lord's help. And then in 2 Timothy, it says, um, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And these next songs are just about how God is a powerful God. And Luke reminded us last week just to pray big prayers and because our God is a big God. And so um, we don't have to be afraid. We can be courageous. And uh, that I have comfort in knowing that our God is able to do much more than we can ask or imagine. So we're going to sing about those truths this morning.
1: To So.
2: First off, I just want to say a big thank you uh, to all the volunteers that helped out getting the new screen and projector installed this last weekend. We had several guys who were here Thursday uh, for several hours. On Saturday, we had volunteers from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., and uh, it just takes a while to build platforms and scaffolding and vacuum up the mess you made and uh, everything else. So big thank you to to those of you who helped out with that. CDC is coming up on November 3rd and 4th, and we have the privilege and the honor of hosting that. And I just want to keep that before you as something to pray about, as something to engage in. Uh, There's lots of different ways that that we'll be asking for for help to to help host this, and uh, we'll be in touch. One of those ways, of course, is actually hosting delegates in your home. We're we're kind of doing a, a combo with if we want to host as many people as we can in homes... And then the rest will uh, invite to simply grab a hotel room in York. But um, it is a neat deal to be able to host some of these people in your house, to get to know them. Uh, last year when we were in Montana, I had the opportunity to stay with Frank and just to, to get to know him better and, and his wife better was just a real treat. And so if you've got some uh, extra beds uh, that are available, I uh, would love for you to, to let us know because that is just a neat way uh, for us to show hospitality to them and just to get to know them more. So uh, that will be coming up on November 3rd and 4th. Um, the other thing, I'm going to pass around sign up sheets for the garage parties. Um, again, just kind of to, to keep this bef- before us. Um, let's see, uh, I'll, we'll skip the kids here and just go straight to you. Um, the With the garage parties, um, those are um, uh, for Halloween evening and. Uh, I just, I, maybe I'm biased, but I just love the garage parties. I think it is so much fun to be able to host a party with your friends, uh, to be able to have your entire community come to your house to come to the party that you are hosting. Uh, I believe that I meet more people that way than if I were going door to door. I mean, we kind of live on a busy corner, but um, I just meet so many people that way. And actually, I think it was last year... One gentleman stopped by. He didn't even have kids. He was just new to town, saw a party, came out, chatted, and we had a great conversation for a really long time. And uh, what a remarkable thing if, if this becomes one of the things that Henderson is known for, uh, for, for throwing these kind of, of parties on, on Halloween. So um, also there's a really neat article in The Christian Leader about those. And so I would encourage you to check out The, the Christian Leader for that. Um, one other announcement: um, Some of you may know that um, Loretta Jost was taken into Lincoln for um, um, for a heart, well, something with heart. They weren't sure at the time. They just knew that something wasn't right. Um, they went in with the scope and they found that one artery was clogged, 95%. They fixed it there on the spot, and she, they should be getting checked out of the hospital in like 10-15 minutes if all goes as planned. So. I am thankful for science and technology that can fix a clogged heart and you can be coming home the next day. That is remarkable. So, uh, but we do just want to continue to, to pray for them and, uh, and, and for her recovery. Let's have a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, We want to start by praying for the victims of the Las Vegas shooting, Lord, and for their families. God, so many families were torn apart that night. God, we thank you for the quick response of first responders of all kinds who helped. For those who are grieving, Lord, we pray that they would encounter Your peace. Lord, we pray for the MB Church plant in Vegas, that they would know how to interact and offer Your comfort and Your peace. Pray for wisdom and love and discernment For that church plant, Lord. And Lord, at the same time, we thank you for lives saved. We thank you that Loretta, that by your gift of medicine and technology, most likely her life is extended. That Olivia, as she recovers, we praise You that her life is extended. For Tiffany, even though she goes in for for appointments on October 11 and 12, that, that the overall outcome is that her life is extended. For Mark Jost, his life is extended. We thank You, Lord. So, Lord, this morning our our hearts are just this blend of gratitude and grief. And, Lord, we just lay both of those at your feet. And, Lord, for places where we are grieving personally, where we are hurtling personally, God, we just invite you into that space. God, for anyone here who is personally grieving, I ask that you would speak to them, that you would give them a picture, that you would give them a word of comfort. And Lord, for those of us in a place of gratitude where where something good has happened or life has been extended, God, again, we just lay that before you and say thank you, Lord. We want you to get the credit, the honor, and the praise for that. God, it's a good day. And we believe it's a good day because we believe that you're a part of it. And we choose to invite you into it. Lord, I pray that our lives, our marriages, our families, Families, our community involvement, our church would proclaim the message of your gospel to all those around us. Thank you, Lord, in your name. One other announcement I forgot to mention. Um, I will be out of the office on Friday and also gone on Saturday. Uh, MB Mission has a kind of a, I forget what they call it actually, like a vision summit type thing uh, that they're doing in Kansas, and they've asked me to come speak and and share some thoughts with their participants on Saturday, but uh, we'll need to leave on Friday to get down there in time. So um, I won't be here on Friday just to let you know. Uh, Between December 1911... In January of 1912, there were two expeditions that left within a month of each other, and their destination was the South Pole. Um, These two groups were um, quite a bit different from each other. Um, Both of them were um, uh, veterans of being in the Arctic. Um, Both of them were detailed, uh, well-organized men, um, well-fit, who led these expeditions. But they ended drastically different. Um, one was led by a guy by the name of um, Amidson. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your your name wrong there, sir. Um, and the other guy was Scott, which is so much easier to say. And um, Amidson led a team of 19. They did it primarily by dog sled. Um, they made it there and back safely. Everyone lived. Scott had a team of 65. He um, incorporated um, motorized vehicles. He incorporated donkeys, um, and he incorporated sled dogs. And he and four others died uh, on the way. They—I'm not even sure if they made it, but I, I think they did make it. But on the way back, they they perished. And it's interesting as you read the kind of some of the accounts of the two of them. Like they you. you Both of them tried well to be well-organized and well-planned. But you really see with Amundsen that his planning was just... I don't know if it was either just deeper researched or if there was just, like, deeper wisdom in how he did it. Because there were little things that they did along the way that turned out to be quite significant. For example, um, Scott had had a previous uh, expedition where they used dog sleds. But it went very poorly because for the first part... They didn't know how to cross country ski very well so they had a hard time keeping up with them but then they were feeding the dogs the wrong diet and so then the dogs got sick and then they had to kill all the dogs and then carry the sleds by themselves so he hated working with dogs but part of that was because his first expedition he really didn't go into it really kind of understanding how to work with dogs so when he comes back and does this expedition they use motor they, they some guy had invented I guess it was the the, 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 the pre-version you know version of the s- uh, snowmobile um, They had three of them uh, One fell through the ice as soon as it got off the ship The other two broke down fairly soon into the journey And at a last minute they left the inventor behind And to- took some other guy with them um, The ponies just didn't do well Like just not at all And then they ended up using dogs um, Fuel canisters they, they both took lots of fuel Both of them were aware that the leather rings, when you close the fuel canisters in the Arctic, shrink. Scott didn't do anything about that, and so a lot of fuel leaked out, and they lost a lot of fuel on the journey. Amundsen had all of them soldered shut. So what that meant was, and this is kind of one of the things they've theorized, is that when Scott and his team were out, they didn't have enough fuel, they weren't able to melt enough water, and their team got dehydrated. And incidentally, um, Scott's team, on that last part of the journey, like a lot of the men had lost a lot of weight. They they just weren't getting the nutrition that they needed. Meanwhile, Amundsen's team had actually gained weight by the time they hit the South Pole, which is remarkable because they're cross-country skiing all day in the Arctic. So that's pretty good. Um, Little stuff like setting up depots or storage caches along the way. Scott would would set up his, his cache or his depot of supplies, and he would put one flag in it. Well, on the Arctic, that was really hard to hit on the way back. Amundsen would set up a, a depot, and then he would spread flags out for five kilometers in either direction. So when he was coming back, he had a 10-mile window, or maybe it was kilometers, a 10-kilometer-wide window that, that he, he had to hit. So it was a lot like he could find it. Plus, his team had better navigation, and several of them were trained in navigation. And so you just see these little things all throughout the journey, even though Amitson had the smaller team, like there was just something about the wisdom of it uh, or the, the depth of the planning or something where his planning was so much better than what Scott had done, even though Scott apparently had far greater financial resources and a team that was three times the size. The... If you're just joining us, we're going through Nehemiah, and and today we're really looking at the value of a good plan. And uh, Nehemiah is a fantastic, fantastic leadership book. In the book of Nehemiah, we see a gentleman who at the very beginning just is burdened uh, with this holy discontent for something that is not right. And in that first chapter, you see him hear the news, and his, his heart breaks for this, and he enters this long time of, Of just prayer and fasting and we actually have more information on his prayer uh, than on his planning but then in chapter 2 we're going to see him enter into the the planning stage and you're going to see just the detail and the forethought in his planning and he's going to head back to jerusalem he's going to oversee rebuilding the wall and the whole first half of the book is he's rebuilding the wall and the whole second half of the book he's just dealing with people (laughs) and if you have been in a leadership position where you have been in charge with a task, or if you're a business owner, if you've ever had employees work with you, you understand that, okay, completing the task is about half of it, but really dealing with your staff, your employees, the, the people around it, like that can easily be the other half or if not more, like that is just a huge part of it. And so Nehemiah is a, a fantastic leadership book. Um, Second graders, if you brought your Bibles again, I'm going to have another verse for you to underline We're on page 539 again, we're in Nehemiah chapter 2 And if you're not a second grader, but you also brought a Bible and you want to follow along We're in Nehemiah chapter 2, and I have no idea what the page number is for you Um, But you can look it up So, Nehemiah chapter 2 Prior to this, we saw that uh, Nehemiah heard about the news He spent some time in prayer um, and then last week we looked at how he came before the king, which was really, really risky situation. Uh, the king is kind of this, uh, as near as we can tell, right? I mean, he, he's temperamental, he's narcissistic, he kind of kills people on a whim, like he is not a good guy at all. Um, but Nehemiah has this unique place of favor with the king. Um, he is the cupbearer to the king, so the king has a lot of trust in him. And he comes before him, Nehemiah comes before the king, literally placing his life on the line. Because if, if this goes bad, he's like killed in the afternoon. If it goes like mediocre bad, like he gets like prison time and flogged, right? And um, so, but, but he goes before him and he asks the king. And today we're going to follow up with that conversation. I am in chapter 2, verse 4. So Nehemiah has just made his request to the king. He's just, he's, he's just thrown it out there, right? Um, that, that he would like to go back and do this verse four. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Loaded question. So I prayed to the God of heaven all throughout Nehemiah. You're going to find just spots where Nehemiah is just throwing up real quick spots where, and so I prayed (laughs) Lord to help me. Right. And that's okay to do in life. I do a lot of those, um, He has this amazing foundation of just four solid months of prayer and fasting. Uh, And he throws up this quick prayer. So I prayed to the God of heaven. uh, And then I lost my spot. Um, Let's see. I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, and he says this two things. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight. We're going to stop there. We're not going to stop. We're going to pause there. Two things from the out. One is that you see that, that Nehemiah comes before this man with humility and respect. This is a pagan king. Nehemiah's ancestors were brought in as slaves probably about 140 years ago. Somehow, during first being brought in as a conquered, dislocated slave people, somehow Nehemiah was able to, to get to this position of cupbearer. Whether or not he still had slave status or free man status, we don't know. But Nehemiah has a lot of "quote unquote" rights to be bitter and upset against this king and just about his history and what's going on, and um, and yet you see him come before the king with humility and respect. And and folks, as I look at just at the past several <laughs> administrations in our country, our the the church is getting really slack about about treating those in authority with respect. All of us are in multiple submission relationships, whether it be the IRS uh, or a parent uh, or an employer. We have multiple relationships where we answer to someone. And I think the North American church is really losing its understanding and skill at respecting the office Even when we don't respect the person. Even when we are scripturally called to disobey those in authority over us. To still have a tone and an attitude of respect towards the office that is over us. David modeled this perhaps better than anyone in his relationship with Saul. Um, You see Paul exhibit this remarkably. Um, Even, I believe, in the life and teaching of Jesus, you see him have this approach I mean, it, it, it's just, it's peppered all throughout Scripture. And it can be a difficult thing to do, but we see it time and again. Um, here's the other thing. Nehemiah says this, And if your servant has found favor in your sight. Should I turn this off? Or, I don't we're getting feedback. Uh, maybe no one else can hear it. Nehemiah says, "If your if your servant has found favor in your sight," Nehemiah is about to bank his entire request on his past work history. Think about the gamble on that. Like, I mean, if this is a poker game, this is where he goes all in and slides the chips in, like they do on TV when sometimes they play the poker game. Whatever it's right. Nehemiah is about to ask the king to reverse a previous decision. He's going to ask him to change international public policy because previously the king had halted construction in Jerusalem. So he is asking the king, would you be willing to reverse your international public policy around that one province that, you, that, that was conquered? He, he, he's going to ask for permission to leave the, the current post. He's going to ask for kingdom resources to do this. And to advocate for this, he is going to lay before the king his entire work history. Nehemiah is saying, If I have done a good job, if I have served you well, if I have worked hard, if I have done as you wished, if you have been pleased by my time here, will you grant this request of mine? And there's phenomenal both inspiration and conviction in that. I mean, what is your vision? And would those around you be willing to buy into your vision because of your track record? I mean, based on your performance at work, do you have do you think you could walk into your boss into your boss's office and say you'd really like to take a month off to go clean up in Texas? Based on how you speak about your spouse publicly, would anyone want to attend a little marriage conference that you were hosting? Based on how you treat your children, privately and publicly, would the school take you seriously when you raised a concern? Based on your visible expressions of love, would people take it seriously when you say that something has you frustrated and angry? Based on how you have behaved as a citizen in your community, could you gain audience with the mayor or the governor and petition for a cause? What kind of steward have you been in the roles that you have already been given? Nehemiah continues, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Um, Again, he doesn't mention Jerusalem by name. It's a bit bit of a kind of a political hot-button topic. He mentions Judah and the place of his father's graves. So he's got some political tact in it. And it carries on in verse 6. The king said to me, and the queen sitting beside him. How long will you be gone, and when you will return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. It's a little bit interesting that he would mention the queen is sitting next to him. There's been a lot of theory around that. Uh, the best guess is simply that having the queen there, either the king was just more favorable, or maybe. Nehemiah had favor of the queen, but somehow having both of them there, Nehemiah thought this is going to make it easier to ask if she is present. So uh, he mentions that, that she is present. Uh, he names a time. We see later on that he was gone for 12 years. Uh, whether or not he mentioned 12 at the beginning or he requested two years and renewed it six times, we don't know, but he mentions the time. Uh, verse 7, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that they may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the walls of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. Nehemiah continues on with the conversation. One, he mentions travel. We take good travel for granted. Uh, we can go pretty much wherever we want, whenever we want. Uh, and that is a blessing, people, that not all of the world and not all of humanity ha- has experienced. Um, not only are there legal restrictions, uh, oftentimes, and in this case as well too, but there's also safety restrictions. Uh, we see that Nehemiah, um, or that the king actually sends a military escort with Nehemiah, including letters, to get him through these other provinces. Because remember, the previous edict was no more building. So when Nehemiah shows up on the door and says, hey, I'm headed over to so-and-so to rebuild, people are going to be like, no, you're not. You know. So to be able to have the legal letters is, is hugely helpful. Uh, he asked for permission to the forest. I had assumed that forest meant like forest. Uh, no. <laughs> Actually, it's a Persian word. Um, padres is, is the root word on that. It actually means, originally means, beyond the wall. Um, So we're actually talking about an enclosure, a park, uh, a nice retreat area, a royal garden, someplace fenced in, someplace that is on the other side of a wall. And actually, this word is the root word for our word, paradise. And so I love the fact that Nehemiah comes before the king and literally asks for the keys to paradise to get the timber to rebuild this place. He's going to rebuild three things. He's going to rebuild, or he's going to build a fortress. That's going to go on the north side of the temple. He's going to rebuild the wall, and he's going to build a place, a a governor's place, for him to live in. Um, There were trees way to the north um, in in Lebanon. Most likely, though, uh, Solomon had a, a private orchard that he referenced in Song of Solomon, uses the same Persian word, He had a private orchard just a few miles south of Jerusalem. And so most likely Nehemiah is asking for permission to go in and use those trees to to rebuild this. Um, His research is remarkable. One, he knows that he's going to need to build a fortress for the temple. Um, He's going to build a wall. He's going to build a house. He's probably never built any of these. So he has an understanding of the city. He has an understanding of the layout of the city. He understands what resources he's going to need to build in, to build those. He has an understanding of what resources are available. He has researched, and so he understands that there's this private park just a few miles outside of Jerusalem where he can get some of the timber to build this. And just the fact that he knows Asaph's name... Like, I mean, it, it's a Hebrew name, and so that's why if they think he's a local guy. Like, someone had to dig that out of the archives. Like, they probably didn't sit around in the evening talking about the gardener who works over by Jerusalem. Like, like th- this was something that someone had to go research to figure out, who's the local guy who's in charge of that thing that we're going to need this stuff from? Remarkable research that, that Nehemiah put, puts into this. The last line in this. And kids, if you have your Bibles, this is what I would have you underline. The king granted, my, granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. A pagan king in a pagan nation with a pagan government grants a Christian man's request to change foreign policy, release him from duty, that he be allowed to rebuild the wall of a conquered uh, nation, that he be given a security detail, and that the king would pay for everything. And so Nehemiah concludes this entire section by saying, you know what? This only happened because God was involved. This was an impossible ask, and we got all of it, because God was involved. I am loving this book. I am loving the first two chapters of this book. Like, we could just review these a couple times more, and I'd be like, we just go, I just preach through them again a couple more times. Um, a man's heart is broken with holy discontent. He prays, he plans. The impossible happens because God does a miracle. I mean, how remarkable! If, if just like that is our M.O. here at Henderson M.B. Every ministry, every outreach, every Sunday morning, just like everything that we go after has this storyline as an intro. Holy discontent, broken heart. Praying into it. Planning into it. Asking the impossible. And then it happens because God does a miracle. Because that's the only way that any of this could have come about. Like, would that not just be the best thing ever if just that was the storyline that just got played on repeat around here? Like you almost kind of got bored with it and you had to keep reminding yourself, Oh yeah, God did a miracle. This never would have happened without Him. Thank you. For today, focusing in on, on this last section, I do believe that God is also honored in good planning. Proverbs tells us to be uh, like ants in, in storing up food, this planning and this preparing. Uh, in, in the book of Luke, Jesus is, is telling people to really wrestle through the cost of discipleship. And in doing so, he gives the example of like a king going to war and how he plans and prepares. Or a farmer who, who builds new grain bins and, and he first figures out the cost. And there's just this theme that discipleship requires planning and thinking through the future. Sadly, sometimes I, people and sometimes like we just get flippant, or or we even go so far as to say that planning is unspiritual, and so we'll talk about James, that ta- James four, you know, uh, that, that, that references you know today or tomorrow we're going to do this thing, but what do you know your life is a mist or Proverbs that says don't boast about tomorrow, but in those passages, the passage is criticizing when our faith and our trust is in ourselves. And if our faith and if our trust and if our wisdom does originate with ourselves, yeah, that is a bad plan. And that is going to fail. And, and people around you who love you should step in and say, bad plan. I, I, but I don't believe that God is honored by poor planning. Prayer and good planning are not opposites of one another. They're actually good friends. They, they, they go well together. They fit together. So what's your plan? Students, what's your plan? I was speaking at the the Southern District Youth Convention a couple years ago, all these high schoolers, and I'll tell you what what I told them. A lot of students graduate high school, and then they have this four-year plan to get a college degree. And honestly, I think that's too short-sighted. You need to plan on six to seven years because you should be figuring in on at least one, maybe two years of international mission service. And you should probably, if, if you want to be competitive in your business field anymore, you should probably plan on getting a master's degree as well. And if you go into that with a good plan, you can combine and overlap and double duty, you know, like you can make a lot of that stuff happen. But if you don't have a plan, those things don't happen. So scrap the four year college plan That's way too short sighted And what is your six to seven year plan And incidentally Those are going to be a lot easier If you're still single Which is why dating in high school Is maybe not always a good idea Young men Young women What's your plan Young adults What's your financial plan What's your parenting plan Okay, you're single, but are you starting to save up for your kid's college education? Because that's going to cost like 200 grand by the time you're a parent. I remember in college, uh, a guy came up, and he, um, I don't know, some kind of assembly, and he had this, this chart, and he did a comparison between someone who, from age 21 to 30, they put $2,000 a year into savings, and then they quit. Compared to someone who started at age 30 And went to age 65 And if they put in $2,000 a year Who invested more? Who invested less? Well the one who started at age 21 and Invested a lot less At age 65, who had more? The guy who started at age 21 And quit at age 30? A lot more Freak me out Because <laughs> it was a long time Before I got a real paycheck and when I did, it was a whopping eighteen grand a year, and I was living high, right? Ooh, so much money! Canadian law let me put in eighteen percent a year, and so I just maxed it out, and and haven't quit. What's your plan? What, what's your financial plan? Do you? Uh, what's your plan for for saving for for? Yeah, like I said, college kid. Do you have a tithing plan? Have you figured that out? A travel plan? adults and young adults what's your plan what's your plan to get smarter what's your plan to get better how are you continuing not just to better yourself as a person but but in your profession and 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 just understanding of world and world events your profession has changed i don't care what it is it's changed maybe it feels like it hasn't changed much but i bet if you compare your profession to 50 years ago i bet it was a lot different and so maybe the change was slow, but it's different. What's your plan? How, what books are you reading? What podcasts are you listening to? What videos are, are you watching? For me, this last year, just around work, um, was focused on church operations, church growth. One of these years, want to do some stuff on preaching. Um, this year, both myself and as a church, just trying to think through leadership development and evangelism. Like, everything changes. Parents, what's your plan to help your kids navigate tomorrow? Our friends in Abbotsford are kind of in an interesting position. Um, There's a a new push um, in the schools. And it's, I was trying to, the, 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 who all, the BC Ministry of Education, the Teachers' Federation, um, the University of British Columbia Teaching uh, Faculty, Um, They're all coming together around something called SOGI, which is sexual orientation and gender identity. And it's a little bit hard to figure out if this is just something they're hoping to see happen, or if they actually have full authority to require this mandate. But what they are doing is they are, um, children are asked to identify their own gender. They'll have 65 options. Um, you, you don't get to discriminate against them. They are allowed to dress in accordance with their chosen gender. They're allowed to choose a restroom in accordance with their chosen gender. Teachers are being encouraged to no longer say boys and girls and to no longer say moms and dads. Um, the government is moving forward with this without vote or discussion, like they're just wanting to do this. Um, it is very active to intertwine this with all aspects throughout K through 12 curriculum. Um, the, uh, I mean, they have all kinds of promos and instructional videos and resources for teachers and how to bring in certain books and posters that you can get. Um, parents are not allowed to opt out and the push is that this is for all school, all schools, including the Christian schools. Now in the U S we had a bunch of conflict because target said, you know, they made some decisions around bathrooms in BC, this entire agenda, the push is to that everyone is taught this K through twelve, and that educators be required to teach this. All right, so what's your plan? Because that, like, that's our future. <laughs> like, we're th- I mean, that's that's the direction that we're going. And agree with it, disagree with it. Increasingly, that's going to become the reality. So, like, what's the plan? Retirees, what's your plan? You're you're closer to the finish line than any of us. What's the plan? One of the best compliments I have ever heard at a funeral was that he sprinted across the finish line. So are you gonna sprint across the finish line or are we just gonna kind of amble that direction? How about as a church? What what what's our plan? I mean we we started with this vision. I mean, what's our contemporary contextual expression of the Great Commission, the Great Commandment? And so we came up with grow disciples and multiply churches who glorify God and transform communities. And now we're slowly kind of working that down layer by layer to say, Okay, now how do we functionally work that out? Large group, small group, no group. We recognize that each one of those provides something that, that the other one can't that my personal Bible reading time, my no group, provides something that my Sunday school class can't, but my Sunday school class or my small group provides something that the Sunday service can't. And so for spiritual growth, I need involvement in all three Wednesday night live, uh, we're, we've got quarterly strategic outreach events, trying to get better at strategic prayer, developing a culture of evangelism, better leadership development. Holding fast to the truth of Scripture. Good stewardship in in the things that we've been given. Better involvement and learning from missions. And it kind of comes back to what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to become? You start with the end in mind and you work towards that. What's our plan? Because you can have no plan and then you'll just kind of drift to who knows where. Probably nowhere. Our lives and our church should be characterized by this MO. By issues that burden us deeply. By issues that we pray about extensively. We talked about that last week. If all of your prayers from the last two weeks were answered to the full, how much would the lives of those around you be changed? Like, I mean, would anyone be saved? Would any... Ministries Be fully funded Would any national conflict be resolved uh, Would any reconciliation happen Or is it just like Happy kids and more money Issues that we pray about extensively Issues that, that, that we plan and prepare for With great detail And there's wisdom in that planning But yet ultimately issues that require This miracle of God For them to happen and in some ways, that that's kind of, could almost be kind of like the safety mechanism. Because if it requires a great miracle of God, and then God doesn't do it, it's like, oh, well, I guess he wasn't into that one. But if he does that miracle, then you know that God is in it. And so I just, I, I love the idea that, that Nehemiah 1-2, to not even all of 2, we're just even halfway through, through chapter 2 actually, verse 9. But th- this is just how we operate. This is how we live. And as a church, that this is how we function. You know, on, on the low end, um, to be unplanned, you know, maybe a few rough patches happen or some stuff's frustrating. On, on the bad end, like, like those expeditions to, to the South Pole, on the bad end, people die. And you may think, well, that's a bit drastic. Actually, that's the mild version of what we're dealing with because we're we're dealing with eternity. Like we're dealing with with the souls for all of eternity, and so the cost is really high for us to do this well and, and to get it right. This is the kind of church that excites me, and that's the kind of church uh, that I'm excited to be a part of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we continue to thank you for the the wisdom that you have given us in the book of Nehemiah. Lord, I pray that for for each of us here, um, yes, we would pray big prayers like we talked about last week. Lord, but I also pray that that would be coupled with good planning. Lord, I pray that you would give all of us here just an understanding of the times, an understanding of our environment, an understanding of the future, and that we would plan well. That and that we would plan not just for ourselves but for those around us. That we would plan well for for our children. That we would plan well for our spouses. That that we would plan well for our future and, and for our retirement. Lord, as a church, I, I pray that, that we would be good planners, with incredible foresight and in looking down the future. And Lord, what kind of church do you want us to be? What kind of church do you want us to become? God, it is a privilege, a privilege. We stand by that. It is a privilege that you invite us to work with you to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we want to be very, very faithful in that. We thank you for this day. Ask your blessing upon all those who are gathered here. We love you, Lord. Amen.
0: Stand as we respond.